Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are keeping with our annual tradition of doing our top three podcasts, um, our favorites from the last year. So first of all, Happy New Year to everyone. And thank you so much to those of you that have been listening faithfully throughout all the episodes. And I really love this episode that we do because it gives us a chance to reflect and look back at all the topics we've covered. And I think sometimes we're just thinking horse research so much because it's, you know, every single week we're reading the papers and then we're recording and then Nancy, of course, does the editing and putting it together. So there's a lot that goes into it and it's easy to even forget some of the topics we've covered until we look back over it again. So I really enjoyed having a look back and I've picked my top three for this year. Um, I don't know Nancy's top three just yet and she doesn't know mine so I'm interested to hear what they're going to be and then we're going to see what all of your top three was so what the listeners listen to the most. So I have to say my number one podcast episode from this year was with Dr. Sherry King deciphering misinformation. I think Sherry just has such a wealth of knowledge and I could have literally just sat and spoken to her for hours on this topic. Um, I'm sure, Nancy, you felt the same way, like the different aspects she was able to bring in and how people can get led astray in the horse industry and hear one piece of information and take that as gospel is just, you know, it's human nature, but it's really fascinating at the same time. Yeah, and I'll never forget her analogy of the bologna sandwich, because as I'm reading, even in lay magazines, you see a little bit of truth, and then you see a little bit of misinformation around that, you know, in that, in the middle of that truth. So the bologna is so apparent when you break it down and then check. And I will say, she did look up the beat pulp question that I had for her. And she came back that she was amazed at the misinformation out there on beat pulp. And there was absolutely no scientific research to back that up. So um, I, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed listening to Sherry and I'm sure we'll have her on again. Can you just remind us real quick, Nancy, what the beat pulp question was? Um, there was a post on Facebook that said that beet pulp had toxic properties due to a chemical they use in growing it. And so, you know, that alerted me because I've always, I always feed beet pulp, especially to my senior horses that have trouble chewing and their, you know, their teeth are aging. So it's a good probiotic and um, it's good 
for ponies too, even though it's dense calories, it's a filler where you're not feeding them so much grain or concentrate. It's a wonderful fiber that they digest readily and easily to keep warm, especially in the winter. So I saw that in the, uh, my thread and I thought, I have never heard of that. I did an intense research um you know, looking, science direct, Elsevier. I went to so many equine research, um, you know, publishers and even animals, nothing, nothing on that. And she did the same thing. And she said, they're, you know, probably trying to sell you another product. I think it's so important as well for people to just be so wary of information that's spread particularly in Facebook groups and this is a biased opinion from me I will readily say but I just encounters a lot of owners having read something in a Facebook group and then outright refusing a certain treatment for their animal um, or even specifically nutrition like when we look at dogs we get a lot of owners that come in that want to feed raw diets And you have to do that well. You have to feed any diet to an animal well. It has to be balanced. It's the same as with horses. But they, some of the owners would have read on a Facebook group, you know, raw diets are the way to go. And then they're literally just feeding a type of raw meat. And that animal's not getting any other nutrients. It's not getting enough fiber. It's not getting carbohydrates. You know, like the dog has a complex um, requirement as well. And I... That is one example, but there were lots and lots of examples where owners would have read something. And I used to always try and direct them, particularly when we would have um, like queries around particular flea and worming products or vaccinations, um, because there can be a lot of inflammatory um, information around them and whether they're safe or not. But I used to just point them to like the government websites where they're not pharmaceutical companies, they don't have a stake in the um, pet vaccines or the pet products being sold. And they're the websites like that we would report adverse reactions to as practices. And we don't have a stake, you know, we have no reason not to report adverse reactions. So trying to find places for that unbiased information and Sherry gave really good tips at the end, I think it's at the end of the part two episode on what to look out for when you're looking for equine information. Um, and she gave some tips through some websites that are really good. So that was just such a fascinating episode. And if you haven't listened to it yet, it only came out in December. So that's one of our newest ones. Um, definitely have a listen. Then my second top one, was the hair whorls in the horses. So this was actually part two of a behavior paper by Temple Grandin. And it was looking at the positioning of a hair whorl on the horse's face and what that associated with their behavior. And they found typically that the higher the hair whorl, that was associated with more reactivity, more flightiness, And the lower the whorl, then we saw less resistance um, to certain activities. And if they're very low, they tend to be really calm, you know, like very chilled out, easygoing. And I love that. I love when we do 
a topic that's a visual like you know when we talk about body condition scoring or we talk about like um we did the pinch test for dehydration and saying you know that's not entirely accurate i love when there's something that you can actually go out and look at your horse and it's like tangible so you can take that information from the podcast and immediately apply it but this one is kind of like in such a fun way at the same time if that makes sense yeah, I really enjoyed that world one too. I thought that was, um, you know, I, I've got a double world horse. So that was really pertinent for me. And even the way the world, the direction of it had meaning in that paper. So um, that was, uh, um, I loved covering that one. And then my third one. So in third place for this year, I really enjoyed the tornado preparation episode because it's touch wood something I never have or will have to do just because of the climate I'm in. So it's something I was never exposed to, but I found it so fascinating. And I love, I kind of love um, the idea of preparing for disaster. I, that's definitely not come out the way I meant it, but <laughs> like having having organization in place so that if something happens, you know, you've got a plan, you've got control. It's not as stressful. Um, so my top takeaways from that one was um, the visual of marking the whole body. So getting a herd marker and writing your phone number on the horse's whole body from the withers right down to the hindquarters, because after if they have managed to break free of the paddock or they are somewhere else or someone comes across them and finds them, they might not allow themselves to be approached. So it's a great way to be able to get a contact number, call the owner, the owner comes and has that rapport with the horse and is able to approach and catch them safely without startling them further. Um, because they had talked about using like hoof markers and like tying phone numbers into the main but they all rely on you being able to actually touch the horse after they've been through a very traumatic event so the herd marker was one and then nancy and i have said this in several episodes but having like um we talk about having like a stable book with information on each of your horses and how important that is but keeping a book that has up-to-date pictures and their documents, um, their microchip number, their vaccination history, their medical history. And a photo is so important, an up-to-date photo in case they are missing and you need to flyer to find them or you just need to show people or use it as an identification method also. And remember, back all of this up and have... Um, an online copy in the cloud as well because you don't know if you know you may have to evacuate whether your hard copy is going to get destroyed you know if your phone gets damaged and you lose it just try and have something the way I tend to save things in a more easy format is I'll save them in an email draft and I'll just name it what it is so it's like having an online folder um, of course, you can use folders like Google Drive and things like that, too. I tend to max those out pretty quickly. <laughs> but those, yeah, so those are my top three. Number one was definitely Sherry King this year. I just absolutely love that episode. 
Yep. And we'll have her back. She was fascinating. So, um, well, I'll get on to my top three. My first one was the muscle atrophy scoring system. That was my number one episode. And I think it's because of senior horses and how the skeletal muscle um, can kind of atrophy with age and that can at times compromise their performance or their welfare and you know just a measurable routine monitoring system was very appealing to me and um, usually people use body condition score but as we found out that's more of a measure of fat than it is muscle so I thought this was just a very simple method um, that was created and they tested it on three evaluators or raters in 38 horses of varying ages and breeds and health status. And it was um, where the raters all agreed on the neck, the back, the hind quarters in, in judging that and scoring that, but they did not agree on the abdominal scoring. So then that was thrown out. And this was an open access article where you could download the scoring system. And it was very easy on each portion of neck, back, hind quarters, uh, one to four, it figured in a crusty neck and adiposity as well. So I really have used that on my senior horses and kind of especially with our severe cold temperatures we had a week or so ago, you could see if they were uh, losing body condition being out in that cold. And if so, you can bump up um, the amount of good hay. So, um, and also I thought was interesting in that one is they found out that horses that had pituitary pars intermediate dysfunction or PPID, they had certain body composition indicators um, that included weight and then fat-free mass. And um, those all showed um, atrophy or a lessening. And then Kate remembered in that one too, it seemed that weight and muscle mass were inverse relationship. As the weight went, as the weight went down, the muscle atrophy went up. So you could use that as kind of a nutritional or a malnutrition guideline. So the uh, if the weight went up, the muscle atrophy went down. So they were inversely related. And that just stuck with me, you know. So anyway, um, it, I thought it was a good clinical sign could be associated with other medical conditions, our age, or maybe even uh, training uh, methods. So anyway, that was my number one. I really enjoyed that. I like that it, it's done in dogs and cats. So why not horses too? And give us a way to be able to look at things every day. And, and you just start with an area, one area. 
and look at it and be able to measure that. So I, and that always, can easily be your sign that you need to talk to someone about nutrition, yeah. especially if your horse is starting to age. You know, you've yeah. had them in a different life stage before that and feeding them for a different life stage. Yeah, I thought it was just um, uh, unique because, you know, I didn't even realize dogs and cats had a scoring system. But anyway, they thought, well, dogs and cats have this. Why not horses? And then also so pertinent for senior horses that can drop weight so easily and have a hard time um processing food because of teeth and absorption issues. So that was my number one. And then um, my uh, second one was the one we did on the catalog of discomfort behaviors. And that had like 35 years of video Mm -hmm. that they assessed at the uh, New Bolton Center in Pennsylvania. And I just thought, they had so many little snippets of videos and um, little behavioral instances where maybe you wouldn't under certain uh, circumstances not even attribute that to pain in a horse. So um, I really thought that was um, good for me. I looked at some of the videos and the quitting video was the one where this horse was not chewing the hay properly and these huge clumps were falling out of its mouth. And I had just a totally different perspective on what quitting was. I was thinking much smaller particles. And anyway, um, I loved it that it this was open access and you had um, access to all those little snippets of the behaviors. I think that was such a great paper. There was such a wealth of research in it, like a vast, vast amount of cases or um, horses that they looked over so many years. So it was so in-depth. And again, like, as I've said, I just love those visuals that you can take away. And I think it's like, well, it is obviously the main kind of focus for us a lot of the time is improving welfare, but it is becoming more of a hot topic to notice discomfort because discomfort and pain are very different. You know, like discomfort can happen at a lower level and when we can catch it at that point, it can make quite a difference Um, and particularly to quality of life in older horses. So I think that was just a brilliant episode. Yeah, and I like that there were 73 behaviors that they listed, you know, that's quite a bit. We know pawing, we know certain um, grimace scale um, looks, you know, that we've talked about in other episodes, but 73 and being able to look at videos of those uh, for free was really um, enlightening. I I did enjoy that episode. And then my number three uh, episode was when we did the equine gut brain connection and how the microbiota uh, influence behavior. And I thought that was interesting. Um, that was a uh, 2020 paper and it they measured fecal microbiota and multiple environmental and host related um, 
variables in 185 healthy horses. So it was odd that at each time that they took samples, the microbiota had changed to the point where you couldn't even identify the horse from the sample. So I think each one was taken at six months. So you had um, one taken, say, in October, another in April, and then uh, they couldn't even, they weren't even similar. So um, the main, I think, thought in that was that equitation had a big influence on the stress level of the horse and that caused the changes in their microbiome. I don't remember that paper as clearly, but now as you're talking about it, it's starting to come back to me a little bit more. Was that the one where we discussed probiotics as well? Yes. And the, um, you know, they had like 10 to the ninth microorganisms. I mean, it was just a huge amount. We talk about humans having billions of them in our gut, but horses have this huge population and they're made up of bacterial and um, plant phyla and protozoa and uh, fungi, and they all have such an influence on digestion and behavior. So if you haven't had a chance, that was one of my favorites because I, you could really see in this study how that influenced the behavior of the horse. So we can go through all the proper training, all the proper nutrition, but if we add too much stress to a certain individual horse, that might all go out the window because that microbiota is just depleted because of stress. Exactly. You know, so for me, that was very enlightening because, you know, you think you're crossing every T, dotting every I, and then you have a horse that is so stressed out and probably maybe even have stereotypical behaviors. And, you know, your number one, uh, primary goal should be to lessen that stress. Definitely agree. And I think it's sometimes we are chasing our tails a little bit with what we can do. Um, but that's why I think that paper was interesting that, you know, from the autumn to the spring, they had changed so much. And even when the environment doesn't change. Yeah. So I think they're just such complex creatures um, the gut is one of my favorite things in horses. I've mentioned that a few times because I just think it's so fascinating how it works. But, and that, I mean, it's literally the make or break with them a lot of times. Well, and it's so complex, uh, you know, as far as even the hindgut goes. And so anyway, I, I really enjoyed that one because it kind of made me look at the stress as one of the components besides good nutrition and good training. And sometimes we think we can, um, oh, what would it be called? Um, what's that called when you keep exposing them to the stress gradually to try and bridge them over into not being so stressful? Habituate them, yeah. is it? Habituate. Thanks, Kate. If we, we always try to habituate 
but sometimes we have to really, really hone in on what they're telling us. And um, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. And so mm-hmm. that this that paper kind of opened my eyes in that way. And then we've got the, is it the top two or the top three for the listeners? Well, we've got the top three. And the way we judge this is by the number of downloads. So the number three episode on the year was benefits of equine therapy for anxiety and mental health. And that was one we did in June, uh, June 24th of 22. And uh, we talked about um, equine therapy and how, assisted therapies using horses um, treat physical and mental illness in humans. And it went through with COVID how so many preteens and teens were isolated that then when they were able to go back in with their peers, they exhibited high levels of anxiety. And so um, we did uh, bring out a um, paper that had examined, um, it was like 12 women under 30, and they found that equine-assisted activities coupled with cognitive behavioral therapy significantly reduce their social anxiety symptoms. And apparently, we did this episode because it's like social anxiety was really high at that point in time, especially with the, the teens and the young adults. And did we had a request along those lines as well, hadn't we, Nancy? It was. That was requested by a lady whose daughter was having a hard time going back into in-person school. Uh, I believe she was in high school and she was just struggling with high levels of anxiety. And um, the mother equated it to COVID. And so that's why we did some research. And apparently um, what why horses are so good is that they live in the present moment. So a lot of these kids and young adults and even older adults sometimes have this anxiety where they're worrying about future events. So when they get around horses, it brings them into the here and now, the present and that anxiety for what may be in the future can't rear its ugly head. So that's why horse therapy is thought to be so great for um, anxiety, whether it's in wounded warrior projects. It just brings that person into the present. I think it can very much play a role in connecting you to your body. Um, And like you said, bringing you into the present, because I've seen it you know, when it's been used with people who have learning difficulties or um, things like Tourette's, things where it's like an uncontrollable verbal tick. And when they start horse riding, um, just the silence and the calm that overcomes them, it's mm-hmm. really, it's incredible. And, you know, I think it was during that episode that I kind of looked into history and what history could tell us about horse-human relationships. And um, the ancient Greeks uh, would 
uh, prescribe horseback riding to people that had incurable illnesses. And then also in 17th century literature, uh, riding horses was used as a treatment for gout, neurological ailments, and, and depression. So this is not something that's in our modern age. I mean, they knew this thousands of years ago. And that just reminds me of that Temple Grandin quote yep. um, that I love, where she said that people who are around animals often make very valid observations. And just because the research hasn't been done doesn't mean they're not valid. And that's a great example of that. Yeah. And I should say hundreds of years ago. But, you know, I always wonder as far as thousands of years ago, who was the first person that ever said, I can get on that animal's back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone who was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Tired of walking. They had to have had a maybe a relationship and, and kind of built trust to even think that because you're not going to think that on a wild animal, hopefully, you know. But anyway, I always think of that, that this could have been something from the Vikings that they found to be very soothing and, and all that. Mm -hmm. So but anyway, um, that was the um, number three. Now, the number two episode I've already covered. It was the equine gut brain connection. Now I did a replay of that last week because when I did that replay, it was the number one, but there was another episode that passed it up over the course of um, New Year's Eve, and it was the Catalog of Discomfort Behaviors. So that was our number one episode of uh, 2022. And, um, you know, that was one of my favorites because of all the videos. It's open access. You can look at all the 73 discomfort behaviors. So there you go, guys. That's our year in uh, podcasting. And, um, oh, Anchor did a recap of our podcast and our listenership is up. Our amount of productivity productivity has increased. So we've gotten a little longer on our episodes, but um, we did produce 52 episodes last year. So um, thank you for listening and for helping us um, get this bigger and bigger every year. We do appreciate it. It's so important. I mean, from our point of view, whether five people listened meant the world to us, just to make a difference and know that we're getting information out to people and to ourselves. I mean, Nancy and I are learning constantly. Every time we read one of these papers, we're like, oh, I never knew that. So that alone, if all, if the only two people that ever got anything out of it was me and Nancy, we'd be happy. <laughs> but we love hearing that it has made a difference to people that are listening as well. So that is obviously the main goal. And try and improve horse welfare through spreading knowledge. Yeah. And I want to have a shout out to Leah for answering a question uh, at the end of our 
equestrians and their view on safety episode. So um, shout out to her for telling us how much she liked that episode and that she found it to be very useful and good information. So thank you, Leah, for that. And I wanted to um, tell everyone we created, Kate, 1,208 minutes of new content last year. And we did 96% more than other creators in the science category. They also, if they were going to name an attribute of our podcast, uh, Spotify said they would call us sharing is caring. And I think that's so true. We do this because we care about the horses and that's why we share what we read and what is evidence-based peer-reviewed research because we know not everybody's cup of tea is reading that research. Definitely. And I mean, sometimes we have papers that we find tough to read as well. So we totally understand where people are coming from. Um, But yeah, we just can't believe we're moving on to our fourth year yep. of recording this. Today is our start of our fourth season. And um, we were actually in the top 10% of most shared podcasts globally. So 48% was shared by direct link, 14% by text, 13% via WhatsApp, and then a 12% Facebook and 13% was others. So that's an interesting, I'd like to see how they came up with that. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. I love looking at those, you know, the Spotify wrapped analytics, like mm-hmm. even for your own listenership on Spotify, I always find it quite um, insightful, but yeah. yeah. That was great. Yep. What a good year. And it's, and you know what? We know we can't do this without the listeners. So thanks so much, guys. And it's great to be with Kate again uh, this week and for the next season. And we'll have interviews and more research. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much, Nancy. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Okay. Bye bye.